Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, good morning again. Did you make your way to your seat? We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we're just thankful to be in your presence and before the living word of God, the written word of God, we acknowledge this morning that every word that we look at is God-breathed. It didn't have its origin in any man, but holy men of old spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These are your words, Lord, and they, you breathe life into our souls. Lord, help us to receive it as such, the word of God, not just to learn it and know it, but to put it into practice so that we would be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Reading recently about a birthday party that went horribly awry, went sideways, turned out, turned into an all-out brawl, and at, of all places, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and the fight was between the grown-ups, not the kids. Nobody's surprised to hear that. The cause of the chaos isn't really clear. Uh, from the article, they said, well, rude remarks were made. People took sides, and then you know how it goes. Tempers flared, and people got louder, yelling and screaming, profanity, and then pushing and shoving and throwing people to the ground, and punches were being Thrown, it was a full-blown brawl. Now, the police had a difficult time getting to the bottom of it, why it all got started in the first place, but they noted that alcohol may have been a contributing factor. <laughs> you think? <laughs> a birthday party. Happy birthday, right? Not a sad celebration. You're supposed to exchange presents, not insults. Open a few presents, not throw a few punches. Interestingly, there's a birthday party recorded in the Gospels that we're going to take a look at this morning. It's going to provide the backdrop for a lot of interesting valuable uh, reflection, spiritually speaking. It's a birthday party that also gets out of hand, only with more serious consequences. By the way, alcohol was a contributing factor. Now, probably one of the saddest accounts in the Bible, but there's lots of valuable insights. I always say about a sad text, um, I like to learn vicariously. I would rather learn uh, from someone else's mistakes than uh, having to learn from my own. Amen? And, and there are quite a few individuals in this story who will provide ample uh, lessons on life as far as what not to do. And so we're going to take a look at that. 
Um, it begins with someone hearing the good news, but instead of getting saved, uh, they get angry. And it's at a birthday party uh, that opportunity comes to get even with that person who corrected them with the gospel. And as a result of a, a man who ignores his conscience, a woman who nurses that grudge, and a teenage girl without any moral scruples whatsoever, a Bible hero will be martyred. And that will come at a birthday celebration. His name, of course, is John, and he's called the baptizer. So first, let me give you the context, then I'll read you the story. The context, Mark chapter 6. He's telling us now that the gospel is getting organized. There are 12 disciples. They have been trained up, and Jesus has sent them out two by two. And they're doing an amazing work. Of course, the Holy Spirit has empowered them. Uh, Mark is telling us right now that the, those under the power of the evil one, the devil himself, are being set free. Uh, miraculous powers are abounding. There's healings, unbelievably so. Stuff that only God can do. And Jesus is now becoming a bit of a celebrity. So news of all of this, Mark says now, has gotten out and it's made its way all the way to the palace where King Herod is ruling over Galilee. And so he hears about what's going on, but he comes to a very uh, mistaken conclusion about who Jesus really is. He thinks he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Well, now we need a flashback to the story because we didn't know John the Baptist died yet. And so Herod, hearing that Jesus is ministering and doing all these signs and wonders, now says, oh, it's John the Baptist who I killed. And then we have a flashback to the birthday party where it all took place. And now he explains at that party uh, why it led Herod to such a crazy conclusion. So we begin now. The disciples have been ministering, as I've said, and uh, all kinds of things are happening. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, and the dead were speaking at their own funerals <laughs> because God would raise them up, and then they had something to say. Uh, and so this was getting back to the palace. Verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known, I'll say. <laughs> Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work at him. Others said he's Elijah. Matthew's version adds Jeremiah, and still others said he's a prophet like one of those old prophets from long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, oh, no, I know. John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias. Herod and Herodias are titles. So it's a way of saying Mrs. Herod. <laughs> His brothers, uh, he did this because of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, 
whom he had married. More on that to come. Verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it's not right, it's not lawful, it's not God's will for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nurses a grudge against John the Baptist and wants to kill him. But she wasn't able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came on his birthday. Herod gave a party for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee when the daughter of Herodias, her name is Salome, Josephus tells us. When Salome came in and danced, she pleased Herod and the dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. That is an idiom. It just means I'm going to be very generous with you. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. No pause there. Uh, Verse 25, at once the girl hurries into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I don't know why we went British there, but (laughs) I just did. Verse 26, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he didn't want to refuse her, so immediately sent an executioner with the order to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother on hearing of this John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That is the story for this morning. So I I went home last night, and Barb always asked me about how the studying is going. And I said, oh, (laughs) it's the saddest story in the Bible, you know. And she said, and I'm sure there's a lot to learn. And um, there is a lot to learn here. Now, I promised you a sad story, and I I think we've delivered that. Um, But there's some good news, and I'm going to save it to the end, all right? So we're going to begin with a troubled conscience. That's in 14 through 16. A troubled conscience can lead you to deluded thinking. So a troubled conscience, note takers. And then secondly, we'll see a woman scorned. And you do know the proverb about a woman scorned. We're going to see the resulting fury uh, from verses 17 through 20. And then finally, we get invited to the party itself where a Bible hero, somebody, Jesus said, among men, there is nobody greater born on this earth than John the Baptist. We'll see how he is martyred and gives glory to God by the ultimate sacrifice of his life. So let's start with Herod's guilty conscience, a troubled soul indeed with verses 14 through 16. 
now on display for you. Now, you don't have to be Dr. Phil to realize King Herod is a troubled soul. And it also appears that there are many out there in the region who are not thinking clearly, especially about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and by what power he's doing it. And it's such unnecessary confusion, a confusion that is still going on even today about the identity, the true identity of the Son of God. People, as you see in your verse, are so willing to believe so many outlandish, crazy, supernatural, miraculous explanations about Jesus except the simple explanation that he gave himself. Why is that? I'm so glad you asked that because I'm going to answer that question for you. Don't you think that's bizarre? He's right there. He's saying who he is, and everybody's saying, I know who he is. <laughs> he doesn't know who he is. He's telling you who he is. But we're going to tell maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's Jeremiah. Oh, he's one of the prophets. Well, what is he saying about himself? Well, he's saying he's God. So we, we can't have that because that would mean that we would have moral accountability. We'd have to bow the knee. So we're going to have to excuse what he's saying, and go with something more palatable to our own consciences. And that's really at the bottom of it. Come on. Is it that hard for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? What's so confusing about that? Why should there be so many options in this world that he's an avatar? He's an exalted guru who went off to India. Where's this in the Bible? Why can't we just take his words that are in red in some Bibles and take a look at them? Why do we need Time Magazine to say, in search of the real Jesus? We've got an entire inspired book that's been around for thousands of years with his very words in it. And we still need to search for the real Jesus because it couldn't possibly be the Jesus that is simply <laughs> displayed in the Bible where he says, I have come down from heaven to give my life a ransom for your sins. What is so difficult to understand about that? Nothing here, but everything here. Because he's saying, I'm your Lord and you'll need to bow. Oh, 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 oh no. We need to call him a prophet because you can manage a prophet. I've told you the story. It's a pool coffee shop. I got in a conversation with a, a woman about Jesus. And she said, you're talking about Jesus like he's God. <laughs> I was doing a good job, apparently. <laughs> and then she says, well, you know what? Jesus just needs to take his seat in the circle of divine emanations. Yeah, you know why? Listen, if he is who he says he is, he tells you and the whole world where to sit, and that would be at his feet. And that is the reason, the underpinning, 
for the irrational conclusions to say there are seven, and, and, and if there are seven, you can say holding a cup of coffee, Jesus just needs to take his place in the circle, you know, and shh, listen up to all the other ones, Jesus, right? But you can't do that with the Lord of glory. You can't do that with the one who spoke and the heavens leapt into existence. Oh, no, 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 no. So we come up with who he is. He's a righteous, holy man. And then to that, you say, well, why don't you do what he says? If he's a righteous, holy man. He's just a misunderstood revolutionary. And then you can go on your way with your coffee cup and do whatever you want, right? But if you say he is Lord of heaven and earth and his name is above all names and at the name of this Jesus, every knee, including mine and every tongue, including this one, is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Well, now (laughs) there's a choice. We're either going to go with the hard truth or make stuff up. And most of the world has just made stuff up. We'll put him in a place, we'll say he existed, but we're not going to make him Lord of all. But that's not going to stop him from being <laughs> Lord of all. So he's going to, Jesus himself asked the question in Mark chapter 8. He's going to say, who do men say that I am? And they're going to give all these answers, right? And then he will say the question that asks every single human soul that he created, who do you say I am? And Peter comes up with the answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord said, bingo. In fact, Peter, you didn't come up with that. But God the Father told you that. That's the only way. The difference between heaven and hell is who do you say that I am? So when Herod gets a shot at this, he's going to say, unequivocally, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead in verse 16. So let's talk about this man's tweaked conscience. A conscience has been called a gift from God, but you don't have to use a gift you receive. You don't even have to open it, but it doesn't mean you don't have one. Uh, You don't even have to listen to it, but you have one. And the conscience has been described like God's sheepdog for our souls. Once the conscience is informed to the word of God, then the conscience does God's work to nip at your heels, to keep you on the straight and narrow way that leads to, to life and to God's care. Now, uh, John, uh, Herod, obviously uh, can't shake the scene. So instead of, listen to this, instead of running to Jesus, who is pronouncing the good news that men's sins can be forgiven, instead of hearing that and running to Jesus to fix this terrible problem that he has committed and this terrible guilt Because he's resisting the truth and doesn't want to bow the knee, he becomes spiritually deluded. And that's what happens. When you get truth and you start playing around with it, 
You start redefining right and wrong in your head, you get upside down and you, you might as well be in a funhouse with those funhouse mirrors because everything's going to get bent. And now, now he hears about Jesus and says, okay, John the Baptist is raised from the dead and he's coming to get me, you know, like some horror movie. He's afraid, he's anxious, he's guilty as well he should be. His conscience is saying this to him. You're not going to get away with that. You're not going to get away. Every single person's conscience in the entire world says, you're not going to get away with that. What's that? All of it. Any of it. The little rattlesnakes and the full-grown ones. The eggs. In the thoughts before they're, they're even conceived in by, into uh, actions. The, the soul knows. You're not going to get away with anything. And the soul is saying, so therefore, you might as well find a way to appease God so that on that day you'll find mercy. And this is what draws uh, reasonable people to the cross and faith in Christ. His conscience say, go see this man. Go get cleaned up. Find hope, you know. Instead, he's hearing he's back. <laughs> <laughs> So he's not going to let his conscience drive him to Christ. He's going to instead let his conscience drive him crazy. Uh, John the Baptist is alive (laughs) and coming to get me. Come on, dude, dude, lay it down. Own the truth and go to Jesus and get this fixed, man. There's a skeleton in his closet. It's rattling around. There's only one way to get rid of a, a skeleton. Only one way. Christ's blood, who died for whatever stuck back in those terrible rooms of the inner resources, uh, uh, inner recesses of the human heart, I should say. Well, let's move on. We're going to find how that skeleton uh, got in his closet. Verses 17 through 20 So he gave orders to arrest John because John publicly was announcing that what he did was wrong. He committed adultery. Uh, And uh, apparently he said that to his face, as we'll see uh, in first person. It's not lawful for you. He's talking to him. So God arranged a divine appointment for John to bring the gospel. And the gospel starts with repentance. Jesus began to preach the good news of the gospel saying, comma, quote, repent. That's our Lord. Starting to preach the good news, it starts with have a change of heart. You got to stop doing this and start doing that. That's what faith is all about. So Herodias, John, uh, Herod handles it one way, and Herodias nurses a grudge and wants to kill him, right? But, oh, wow, we see some hope in this passage. Herod's on a right path. So let's talk about that. Uh, after uh, words, uh, we'll talk about the woman scorned. All right, so... Herod is showing some really positive signs. And oh, Herod could be a brother in Christ. He could have been. He was being drawn and he was cooperating. 
He came close, and I've said this a million times. I would rather miss heaven by a million miles than miss it by the doorpost. Just he, he was close. He was close. He started well. So very. he was being drawn. He liked what he was hearing, and, and he liked John, and he protected John, which is amazing because John slapped him upside of the head, and he took it on the chin. His wife took it. And let it fester in her heart. But Herod, Herod took it on the chin and liked hearing it. Wow. So we have an arrest. He didn't want to arrest him. His wife, it says in your text, it's because she wanted it. She's angry. He's impressed with John's courage. Now, think about it. Check this out. He's a royal so-called king. He actually just manages a fourth of the part of the kingdom. That's what a tetrarch uh, does. He lives in lavish opulence. (laughs) He's got wealth. He's got great power. All his friends are very important dignitaries. He wears royal clothing. He's surrounded by royal military. He's a very powerful man. He lives in a palace. Everyone he tells to do something, they do it. And everyone tells him what he wants to hear. He's surrounded by men who kiss up to him on a daily basis, intimidated, intimidated, spineless, and corrupt just like him. Everyone he knows has a price. And here's this guy. Here's this guy, a nobody. He's a hillbilly. He's a hillbilly. He was raised out in the Judean boondocks, in the sticks, from towns you don't even know existed. He was born of aged parents. He dressed funny and ate weird stuff. He doesn't have two shekels to rub together. He has no initials after his name. Did he even go to school? He did not. There's no record of John the Baptist having a formal education. He's just too busy out in the wilderness seeking the Lord and living for God. And here's the contrast. Instead of the peasant being overwhelmed and intimidated and fearful of the king, the king is amazed and overwhelmed and fearful of the peasant. Why? Because he's got a light in his eyes, this one. He's never seen that light, that fire, that clean countenance on his face, the way he stood, the peace that exuded from him, the confidence, the boldness that comes from a right conscience before God and standing on God's promises, knowing who you are in Christ. Oh, that exudes from a man. And just that he had the wherewithal to confront the king and say what is true. And he probably didn't even know about it until the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. So Harry is like, whoa. Wow. Listen to this guy. John says, you, sir, are an adulterer. You've broken God's law. You've done what is not right. You had an affair with your brother's wife, and that is wrong. 
And if you're ever going to find any hope or love of God, you need to have to knock that kind of nonsense off, repent of that, renounce that, and trust in Jesus. That would be John's gospel. And Herod says, I like this guy. <laughs> and his wife says, kill him. Kill him now. But notice in the text, oh, ho, ho, she wants to kill him. It doesn't say she wanted to have him killed. She wants to kill him with her bare hands if she could. A little bit different there. He's amazed. He fears. He admires. He likes to listen, but he's puzzled. When I read that, I got puzzled. So I started thinking about it. What's he puzzled about? He gets to go down in the dungeon, pull up a stool, and says, preach to me, Baptist, preach to me, right? And so he does. So he went back to find out what's so puzzling about John's sermons, because they're there in the early chapters of the gospel. You get transcripts of his sermons. <clears throat> so I just checked it out. Here's what he was saying. Here's a sample. Turn from doing wrong. Trust in Christ. If you have extra clothes, give to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Collect no more taxes than the government requires. Don't extort money or make false accusations. Come to Jesus. He'll fill you with God's spirit. What? is so puzzling about that. Well, I'll tell you what's puzzling about it. He's asking himself, <laughs> how do I do that and still get to be my crazy, sinful self? How is that ever going to happen? Right? Because I don't want any of that, even though it's true. Right? How can I do that and keep my life the same? with my same buddies and same parties and same lusting and same corruption. That's what puzzles people about the gospel. Oh, the gospel, come on, I raised kids. They got it. I shared the gospel with them in simple terms. You get it. <laughs> there's a heaven, there's a hell. We've done bad stuff. God came down and died for our bad stuff. If we trust him, we get forgiven and we live forever. That is not puzzling. What's puzzling to a person is when they start to justify, when they start to look for loopholes, then things get crazy. If you're confused about spiritual matters, try doing Romans 12.1. 12.1 says, listen to this. Did you miss this? Romans 12.1 says, we are two in light of God's mercy, lay down our lives like a living sacrifice. In other words, instead of writing a check and putting it in the offering, you put your whole body in there. I, I'm offering myself. And then, did you, did you miss this part? He says, then you will know what God's will for your life is. You cannot make sense of the gospel while you're busy and intent on doing your own thing anyhow. You'll never find out what God wants because you're too full of yourself and your own aspirations and your own sins and your own desires. That's what he says. That's why he's puzzled. The gospel's not puzzling. 
But if I'm to receive it, I start to get a little crazy because I'd have to change my life. So Herod's intrigued, his wife's incensed, and hell hath no fury. Here she is. So um, here's what happened. You know the story. I mean, uh, she had been married to Herod's brother, Philip. So Herod and his first wife go to Rome where Herod and his wife to be, (laughs) who's married to his brother, (laughs) have an affair. They have an affair in Rome. and, and, And why? Well, Philip is an ambitious. He's not reigning and ruling anywhere. Maybe he's a little out of shape. Uh, he's not making the big shekels now. And so the more handsome brother who has ambition, who is considered a king, uh, so they have a fling, all right? And so they both dump their spouses. They go back to Galilee area and marry. And John calls them out and says, what you just did, that's wrong. That's wrong. And she says, how dare you? Peasant, wearing camel clothes, eating grasshoppers, even look my direction as a queen to tell me that my life choices are wrong. Who are you? And so she nurses a grudge against him. Day in, day out, how can I get him? How can I kill him? And she's trying to get at him, and the husband's blocking her away. Until a birthday party. Now, just a word about nursing a grudge, getting offended when you get corrected. I was talking with a pastor, actually pastor friends. When we get together, we talk about stuff to encourage each other. And of course, the um, topic came up the challenging topic of when somebody gets corrected and becomes angry and then uh, resentful and then goes on a war path against you or whoever corrected uh, the person. And so in an effort to get even because they got their feelers hurt, you know, there's lies, there's slander, gossip, untold uh, damage for sure. The effort is... You know, they got their feelings hurt, and so they want to maim and wound and kill and kill. Reputation, right? And so that just goes on uh, everywhere. And my friend, listen, (laughs) overlook offenses. Let God correct you. Um, Extend mercy and grace if it's not done absolutely as it should have been done. One thing for sure, the Lord will deal with those kinds of people, but in the meantime, a lot of damage gets done. So dear, uh, sweet ladies. um, (laughs) Hello. (laughs) What's in your heart this morning? Is it busy nurturing, love, warmth, forgiveness, unity? Or is it nursing a grudge, holding on to things you should have let go years ago or months ago or days ago? Which is it? 
You're going to be the, the courageous Deborah, the fearless Esther, the godly Anna, or the cunning Jezebel, or the unfaithful Potiphar's wife, or the vicious, cruel Herodias. Go with godly. It works much better, especially in the end. Amen? Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's finish up. So finally, she gets her moment, birthday party. She's thinking to herself, how can I get him to publicly make an oath to kill the guy? And so she comes up with this twisted, perverted, blasphemous scheme and gets her daughter to do a little dance. And then you know how it goes here. We're going to walk through it now. Uh, Notice with me what nursing a grudge uh, brings, violence and murder. Now, Jesus equates anger with murder. You know, uh, the mature uh, Christian will realize in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. I'm not sure that I have Matthew 5, do I? Matthew 5 will say, uh, you've heard it said to people long ago, thou shalt not murder, but anyone and that anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, judgment of God. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So people have a way of justifying themselves before God and say, listen, I've never committed murder. I'm no murderer. And he'll say, check your heart out. Have you ever hated anybody enough to say drop dead? You just, I mean, all you're lacking is the opportune time and the courage to do the deed the heart wants to do. So guilty is charged, you know? And so he's just saying, listen, anger, hate, resentment, it all leads, and it's judgeable. The seed of murder is anger. And God says, I can judge you on the deeds of your heart. So you gotta, just because you don't do something outwardly doesn't mean you're free to do it in the privacy of your own heart. Because he says, the heart belongs to me and I see in your heart and I will judge the secrets of men's hearts. Romans says that. Thankfully, our secrets, if you can best them out, they're covered, washed away. Phew, that's gonna be one embarrassing day for people. You know, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. Do you see the connection? You don't call on the name of the Lord, then everything going on in there is going to be exposed. That's nasty. So here's how it went down. The birthday party, the banquet, Herod's throwing a party in honor of himself. That's what guys like Herod do. You know, I'm having a birthday party for myself. Uh, Distinguished... Men in the cabinet, you'll read in your text, high-ranking military guys, notable citizens. In other words, anyone who was anyone was at that party. Now, while the men gather and get settled in, and the, and the kegs are brought in, and the wine is flowing, because um, that's what they did there. Herodias is so filled with hate, she's skulking around and scheming to herself, and her mind is always prompting. And when you're filled with bitterness, you're always looking for ways to get that bitterness out and poison somebody close by or do a nasty deed. And so she sees an opportunity here uh, to put her devil-inspired scheme to to work. So check this out. (laughs) He's been drinking. 
Ah, she's thinking, okay, that's right. There's a lot of booze here, and where there's a lot of alcohol, uh, his ability to reason will be uh, diminished, and perhaps I'll get something done here. How can I get him to publicly swear that he will do something? Oh, I know what could happen with all of this alcohol. I'll send in my own teenage daughter, his stepdaughter, her bio kid. Who knows all about it? She's already poisoned Salome's heart with her bitterness because the girl's really into this. Not only the dance, but what comes of the dance. The girl's into it. So... Let's talk about this. So she asked him, her, her own daughter, to go out there and do the dance. And I don't need to describe the lewdness going on there because you have televisions and you've been to the movies. Now, uh, things get fever pitch. And then perhaps to put more coins in the meter to keep things going, he just, you know, the height of everything, he offers a generous gift and says, ask me. And uh, he says, ask away, stepdaughter. And Salome runs back to mommy, dearest, with the good news. It worked. It worked. He's promising. And then she says, now ask him for the head of John the Baptist. And notice the immediacy of it all. The answer, look, first the answer, John's head comes pretty quick, doesn't it? No stop to think. Next, her compliance. At once, she hurries. I want you to give me right now. Hurrying at once, right now. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and in the end, they won't depart from it. I mean, she's on a very dark road. Salome hates John, too, because she's been already recruited into that hate and bitterness. I see it all the time. This is not in my notes. Husbands and wives, moms and dads, they get embittered. They have church problems. They have all kinds of things going on in their marriage, and they use the kids. I see this over and over again. 40 years I've been doing this, I see this Hundreds of times, they start using the kids as a sounding board for church problems. My kids, they never, until they were late teens, never heard in their lives one negative thing about the church. And believe me, folks, I had plenty of things to say. (laughs) It wasn't about this church. Barb and I never said, a, why? You want your kids to think negative things, even if they were true. The poison parents do to these impressionable hearts. Guard them from all of that. There was no guarding. The sewer line went straight into the mind of her own flesh and blood until she is an accomplice to murder in the first degree by which she will be charged on that day. The daughter, 
She didn't say, Mom, get a hold of yourself. This has gone too far. Oh, gross. She's a teenager. One commentator said this. If she has the physical maturity, maturity physically, to elicit such a response from men, then she is old enough to take full responsibility for this heinous crime. And who's to blame? She's to blame. Her mother's to blame. And where's her stepfather? When you make an oath that involves evil or harm's way or harm's way to yourself, there's a, oaths are, 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 are to be broken. That's not a true oath. When somebody's going to get hurt, I'll promise you won't tell them. I'm going to, yeah, no, 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 no. That doesn't work that way. So Herod's a guy, you know, with a weak conscience. He's not like John. I mean, he protected John. He liked to hear him, but he couldn't stand up to peer pressure and the oath that he made supposedly. And in order, listen to this, John the Baptist will die because some dude can't say no to his friends. The son of God dies because they're the, the, the religious leaders are envious of Christ. It says because they were envious of the crowds, they delivered him up. So for, for me, the takeaway is how these little things in life, envy, peer pressure, nursing a grudge, they're all part of the story that ends with John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, if that's true, I don't care what form nursing a grudge or envy or self-centeredness or, or fear of man, all of that's in the story and all of that is in our hearts. I don't want anything to do with anything like that. And it's right there. So Herod, you know, Herod says, go do it, you know. And it says, oh, he was crushed. That word is the same word that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was crushed. But he didn't do a thing about it. And maybe on that day, he, <laughs> oh, when they came, first of all, he probably gave John's disciples permission to come and get the body. And he probably said, I love, I like that guy. It was my wife, right? I like to listen to him. Maybe he said, hey, listen, let me provide the burial fees because I'm crushed about this. I'm greatly distressed. Oh, uh, yeah. People love to pat themselves on the back and say uh, they're not going to give their hearts. They're not going to surrender their will, right? But they'll try to assuage their their conscience just a little bit by being crushed and feeling bad and shedding some crocodile tears and all of that nonsense. I liked him. Put his arm around one of them. I liked him. You can have the body. Bury it well, man. So we go back to the beginning now as we close up here. And news is getting to him. Several months have passed. And news about Christ is coming into the palace. And that's where he starts saying, it's John. Now he's risen from the dead and he has divine powers. Well, he's going to get a second chance um, and actually an opportunity, here it is, 
to check out Jesus to, to up close to see if it really looks like John. Maybe it is John, maybe it's not. He's going to meet him. He's going to meet Jesus face to face. Do you remember when? It was Good Friday. Good Friday. On that morning, after having been up all night, the kangaroo court slapped Jesus around something terrible, beat him, blindfolded him, mocked him, spit in his face, plucked his beard. He went at sunrise to Pilate. Pilate was freaked out. Pilate got a sense something bigger than me is happening here, and he's looking for loopholes. Three times he said, I've examined him three times. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He's innocent. I don't get this. His wife came to him, Pilate, and said, watch out. I had a nightmare. Have nothing to do with this. Get out of it. Get out of it, husband. So he tried. And one of the ways he tried, of many, was to say, where are you from? And someone shouted, he's from Galilee. Ah, Pilate said. Right across, staying in the same courtyard, was this Herod. He said, send him to Herod. It's his problem. So they take Jesus, bruised and swollen and bloodied and battered, and they bring him over to Herod, this Herod. And it says here, here's the passage, Luke 23. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's uh, jurisdiction, Pilate sends him over to Herod, who was in Jerusalem. When Herod saw Jesus, oh, he's very glad. I like religious people. I liked your cousin. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, that, come on, man, juggle, do something, you know? But he made no answer. Jesus has nothing to say to that man. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently uh, accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers, treat, Herod with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, a gorgeous robe, it says, a royal robe, one of Herod's. He sends him back to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate become friends with each other. From that day on, for before this, they had been enemies. God says, I'm going to give you one last chance. Here I am. And you could have read, you could have read, they brought Jesus to Herod. And when Herod looked into the face of the Son of God, swollen and bruised and eyes closed up, blood from the crown of the thorns, he fell in remorse for his great crimes at the feet of the Savior. You could have read it. You could have read that. And that's the tragedy of all who perish. They could have written a different story. But instead, he hardened 
that weak-willed heart of his, spiritually speaking, and instead of receiving Christ and giving him the honor due, the son of God, he mocks him. So say, hey, Jesus, you're not going to do anything for me. I'm going to give you one of my robes, Mr. King. And they put a robe, a purple robe upon him and said, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Wow. How would you like this on your account? You murder the greatest man who ever lived up to the Old Testament time, John the Baptist, who is, was, whose birth was announced by Gabriel. Cousins in the flesh to the Son of God. And then you're complicit in the murder and execution of the Lord of glory. And here's the deal. Christ then goes to lay down his life willingly for who? For Herod. For Herodias. For Salome. He will become that sin now. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't have to take this. He dies in their place, should, on their deathbed. Any of the three of them just have a change of heart. And he'll let them in because he himself will have paid for the death and the blasphemies and the lewdness and the vulgarity and all of that. So that anyone who calls on his name wouldn't have eternal life. That's a happy ending, folks. That's a happy ending. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. And we ask, Father God, that now uh, you administer to our hearts and help us, remind us of your great love and mercy and to avoid (laughs) the very things that we saw in the hearts of these people, these sinful people. Help us to turn from such things and look to you instead. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I have some really, really good news, and it's from Jesus' lips. He said that he would be coming in the clouds with great power and glory and will come and establish a kingdom, a kingdom where there's only righteousness, only goodness, a kingdom where you will not find Herod, you will not find Herodias, and you will not find Salome because nothing unclean will enter that. Wow. Look at this. You don't have time for this, but look at this last verse. A new heaven, a new earth. And drop down there, there will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away all our tears. There will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. The older, the old order of things has passed away and the one seated on the throne, the real throne, the Lord, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words. <laughs> are trustworthy and true. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to be a part of that kingdom by bowing the knee now, here and now, to the King. We ask you to fill us with your spirit and overcome those nasty vices that are in our sinful hearts. As we yield our lives to you, be glorified in Christ's name. And all God's people said, You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.